Welcome back in listeners to another fantastic episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined by two wonderful guests, kind of continuing a previous conversation we had. We have the director, Maggie Dunn, and the playwright, Andy Boyd, both of who are part of Pizione Art's presentation of the Flight Patterns of Migratory Birds. This is part of the Neurodivergent New Play series, and this is, I believe, their first show so it's kicking off yep. on September 17th at 2 p.m. at the Vino Theater in Brooklyn, New York. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting sourgrapesproductions.com. And with that, I mean, I really think we should just go ahead and welcome on our guest, Maggie, Andy. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you both so much for joining me today. And as I mentioned, this is kind of a continuation from a previous interview we had. We did have Anthony Piccionis on. He's the founding artistic director with this play series. And he kind of told us a bit about what the Neurodivergent New Play Series was. But now we have the first show of this, The Flight Patterns of Migratory Birds. And I'm very excited to learn more about this and to really just dive into it. So Andy, I want to start with you and have you tell us a little bit about what this show is about. Sure, yeah. It's about a small town somewhere in the Midwest where there is a struggling diner run by a mother and her daughter, and things for this diner become even more difficult when a local do-gooder enrolls the town in a town-wide weight loss competition sponsored by the Self-Improvement Channel. And the, the mom thinks this is all very silly and, and pointless, and but the daughter thinks this could actually be a, a good opportunity for her to kind of lose a bunch of weight and become more popular. And, you know, uh, she, she sort of thinks once she gets thin, she will like herself more. And then the, the play kind of goes off from there, and she starts an internship at a local bird sanctuary and meets the to people who work there and they kind of have a very different way of going through life than what she's kind of been accustomed to through her upbringing and meeting these new people kind of opens her eyes in some ways to different ways of thinking about what growth means and what it means to make your way in the world and you know kind of what other ways to find value other than you know in your in your body and in your physical appearance so it's kind of a, a coming of age story wrapped in a kind of satire about weight loss culture also plus a play about animal conservation so it's a little unwieldy but i think we make it work i love that though so andy where did you come up with the idea for the show sure so i live in sunset park brooklyn and i was biking through bay ridge brooklyn which is just the the neighborhood right from my south and, you know, there's like inspirational billboards that are like perseverance. And then it's like a picture of Mother Teresa or something. But there was one about a town that like did a town-wide weight loss competition and lost some, you know, some, I don't know, supposedly impressive amount of weight collectively. I do don't, I, I don't think we said how many people are in the town, which I think is like an important statistic, you know, you'd, you'd want to know that to know really how impressive the feat was. But it just struck me that like, if that happened in the town where I was living, I would move. I mean, it just sounded awful. Like the idea that the whole town was going to get together, you know, and try to shrink themselves as some sort of like weird gesture towards some kind of civic pride or something. I really question that whole paradigm, like the idea that 
skinny means healthy and that healthy means morally upstanding. I think that that whole equation is is really messed up. And it was it seemed odd to me that like this, you know, billboard in this public space was sort of screaming this propagandistic message about how we all need to be smaller. So so that was kind of the inspiration for it. And then I kind of just started writing, you know, a scene a day or so. And these characters kind of came in from from the wings, so to speak. I mean, no pun intended. I spent some time growing up in a, in a small town in Wisconsin that had a bird sanctuary nearby. And so the idea that something that might be in this small town would be a bird sanctuary seemed very natural to me. And then I started to think, well, what kind of people work in a bird sanctuary? And it's like a weird, it's a weird type of person, I feel, because it's a sort of scientific job, but it's not really a research job. You have to know a lot about science to do it, but you're not doing, you're not doing science in a sort of formal sense. So, you know, I just thought, okay, so these are going to be sort of like, you know, little science nerds. And then, and then I thought, well, maybe it's fun if the two people who work at the bird sanctuary, who are the only two employees in the bird sanctuary are, are also in a sort of the early stage of a romantic relationship. And I think part of what I think part of what being around the two of them does for Jenny, who's the main character of the play, is like gives her a sense that being an adult doesn't necessarily mean you have all your shit figured out. So yeah, I guess that's kind of how it started. And I always think about like this, I think sometimes when you start running a play, it's easy to kind of look at your characters from like a, from like a sort of 45 degree angle, you know, like you're kind of looking down on them, not like in a moral sense, but just sort of like in terms of your vantage. And one of the kind of things I've been trying to do in rewriting the play is to kind of tilt that camera angle a little bit further down so that we're kind of looking more directly at them and there's not that kind of false superiority that you can get towards a fictional character. And trying to think about, you know, even the characters that I disagree with in the play, what values are motivating them? What do they think they're doing? Even if I think they're going about it the wrong way, you know, trying to see the good in everybody and, and let that kind of motivate the characterization, even if there is a kind of satirical bent as well. You know, I, I think it's possible to do satire that's not like mean spirited. And that's something we, I've been trying to do in this play. Very cool. I love that. Now, Maggie, I want to bring you in. And I'm wondering, how did you come upon this piece? Yes. Yeah, so I directed at the Vino Theater last year. I did a fundraiser for the National Network of Abortion Funds. And I self-produced a play called Ancestor there. And then I saw the Vino Theater had posted about this neurodivergent new play series. And I was, I immediately had to jump on it because I just never seen anything like that before. And I thought it was such a great opportunity. I feel like the neurodivergent community is often overlooked and forgotten sometimes in these artistic spaces. And we make up so many of the artists in these spaces. So I think it's great that, you know, they, that there was something that was highlighting our work. And then Anthony brought me on and I was going through over a hundred plays, trying to find one that I felt connected with. And whenever I'm looking for a play, I'm kind of looking for two things, looking for a play that I think is entertaining and that I would want to watch just as an audience member. And like Andy was saying, I mean, there's so much going on in the world of this show. There's so many storylines with all these quirky characters. And then when I was looking to choose a show, I also wanted something that I could dig deep in and also relate to and kind of find the heart of the show underneath all of this, you know, just kind of fun show to watch. And I 
I felt like I really related to the characters in this show, finding connection with each other, especially like through the challenges of growing up. And I think just where I'm at in my life, graduating college next year, I think the the theme of, of change and, you know, moving and just kind of feeling out of place sometimes really resonated with me. And I think specifically doing this, this play in New York is really interesting because it is about a small Midwestern town. But of course, many of us that are in New York don't come from New York. I'm visiting home right now, actually. So that's a funny, it's just kind of a funny thing happening. So we've been, you know, as we've been working on this, we've been finding ourselves and our own hometowns in this fictional town and with these characters. That's wonderful. Oh, I love all of that. Now, Maggie, I want to stick with you for this next question. And I'm wondering, you know, what has it been like developing the work? I know we're about three weeks out, but have you all started rehearsing? You know, have you started your table work? What has all of that been like? Yeah, so we started rehearsals this past Monday and it has been going really well. Been, um, like I was talking about, just kind of digging into these characters. Something that I love about Andy's work is that these characters feel so real they they feel like real people to me that are just put in these kind of bizarre situations of a weight loss competition and bird sanctuary and we've been kind of relating ourselves a lot to these characters and trying to figure out you know where all these different characters where does a 15 year old who runs a diner with her mom relate to a girl that moves across the country from new york to go work at a bird sanctuary where are they where do they cross paths and yeah, it's it's been really, really interesting working with the actors. They have so many great perspectives. We all come from different places. So it's been really, really cool to dive into this work this week. Very cool. Now, is this the world premiere of the show? I guess, Andy, I'll ask that to you. Is this the world premiere, the first performance of it? Well, this, this is a, a stage reading. I think it's going to be a great performance, but it, I, I hesitate to use the world premiere phrase, uh, you know, until if there are any, you know, uh, producers out there, funders who would like to bankroll the world premiere, we would we would love that. But <laughs> this play's actually had a, a, quite a few readings and it's been revised pretty substantially. I had a reading at, I run the, a reading series at Pete's Candy Store in Williamsburg. I had a reading there. I had a reading upstate earlier this year, actually. I had a reading in Phoenix, Arizona, where I'm from. So it's kind of been bopping around a bit for, for a while. You know, I, I think it's in pretty good shape. I would love to see it go into a full production. But yeah, this will be the, well, I, I can say this, this will be the first time that this draft of the script is being heard. So that's something. Very cool. Well, I'm going to stick with you, Andy, on this next one and ask, you know, what is the message or thought you're hoping audiences take away from the flight patterns of migratory birds? Yeah, I mean, I think with all of my plays, there's usually a sort of polemical political point to the play, but then there's a kind of, you know, a little bit more of a softer bellied, more kind of philosophical idea at, at the heart of the play as well. So, you know, the kind of the polemical point is that thinking about health in terms of weight is really stupid. And, and it's, it's just a, a way to make yourself feel bad. I mean, there's always going to be someone skinnier than you. So if you're basing your self-worth on being thin, then that's, that's not a very stable self-regard. And, you know, plenty of people are 
fat and perfectly healthy and plenty of people are thin and very unhealthy and people have chronic health conditions that mean that no matter what they do, they'll never be healthy. So it's not like we should hold up health as some sort of a value either. Um, so, you know, I people to be a little bit more forgiving about, about their bodies and to, to be more grateful for what their bodies can do rather than thinking about their bodies as this sort of like perfectible object or something like that. So that's, that's like a, the sort of like, you know, message in that sense. But I think also I'd like to have people think about, you know, like Maggie was saying, like why these transitional nodes in our lives are often so fraught and difficult, you know, what, it, what does it mean to care for somebody? What does it mean to love somebody? How can we love somebody in a way that takes them at their full complexity and doesn't try to kind of fit them into the box that we want to fit them in? I think that's something that a lot of the characters in the in the play are dealing with in one way or another. Cherie, the woman who kind of starts the weight loss competition, I think really her town, but the way that she shows that is by trying to convince them to, you know, lose a bunch of weight. <laughs> and, you know, the mother character really loves her daughter, but, you know, when her daughter tries to talk to her about her her insecurities just kind of poo-poos them. Gary, who works at a bird sanctuary, I think really has genuine romantic feelings towards Beth, the other pe person who works at the bird sanctuary, but he sort of feels that if she's not willing to move at the pace that he is in their relationship, then he doesn't feel that she really cares about him. So I think it's a lot of, a lot of the play is about, you know, trying to advocate for a, a form of loving people that takes them as they are and doesn't, doesn't try to change them, even while understanding that change is inevitable and part of loving somebody is supporting them in the changes that they're going through. But that shouldn't mean trying to push them in any particular direction. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic message, though. I love that. Maggie, <laughs> as the director, what about you? What is the message or thought you're hoping audiences take away from the show? Yeah, I think kind of kind of going off of what Andy was saying with these transitional phases, I think I'm hoping that people walk away granting themselves more grace with where they're at in their life. We kind of jump in to these characters where they're all at a transitional phase in their life, trying to figure out what's next for them, what has passed them. And something that's interesting with the whole bird sanctuary part of this is in rehearsals, we've been researching the actual flight patterns of migratory birds and kind of how that's changed over time and how that's been affected by the climate and kind of like outside outside influences and then comparing that to growing up and these changes that are happening. And I think specifically with the character of Jenny, she's growing up, which is already a, a very difficult feat. And we were, we were saying in rehearsals, we wouldn't wish being a teenage girl on our worst enemy because it can be very difficult. And then you add in, you know, the, these ideas about weight loss and diet that over the last couple of years have really evolved with presence of social media and just like the evolving diet culture that we have. And so I'm, I'm hoping that people can look at where they are in their life and realize that, you know, the things that they're feeling are natural and you know maybe the path that they're going down isn't necessarily the path that they'll end up at I mean without spoiling anything I think where these characters are at in the beginning and where they're at in the end is where they're meant to be and maybe it's not where they thought that they would be but yeah and we go along with that journey with them on that oh that's so nice well, I want to ask you both now my final question for this first part of the interview, and that is, who do you hope have access to the show? And Maggie, I'm going to start with you first on this. 
Yeah. I mean, of course, everybody, but I think specifically with this being a neurodivergent play series with highlighting neurodivergent artists, I'm hoping that neurodivergent audience members are also feeling encouraged to attend, feeling inspired. And yeah, but of of course, anybody is welcome to come. Yes. Yes. Andy, what about you? Yeah, definitely neurodivergent folks, especially. I mean, I feel like it's so often assumed that neurodivergent people don't participate in theater. You know, I'm autistic and I feel like a lot of times people assume that that means I'm going to be interested in like math and science and stuff. And, you know, not particularly. <laughs> so, you know, I feel, I was talking about this with a friend of mine who's also autistic yesterday. And one of the things that we're talking about is like how when you're a young person who is on the autism spectrum, the, the chance to have to go into a rehearsal room and have this sort of laboratory for experimenting with social interaction is can be can really be a godsend you know i mean there are all these rules that i think other people you know sort of intuitively pick up about what it means if you emphasize this word rather than this word but theater training is a, a way to really systematize that and kind of get it you know in in a more digestible form and and to you know, run something back if it didn't work and say, let me try to say that a different way. Maybe that'll work better. And you just don't get that chance in real life. So hopefully this can be a kind of celebratory space for artistic theater fans and theater makers and neurodivergent theater fans and makers of all sorts to feel like it's not like we're just being invited to somebody else's space, but this is like a space that is made for us. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see who shows up. <laughs> switch things up now and give our listeners a chance to get to know the two of you a little bit better and i want to start off with our perennial question what or who inspires you what playwrights composers or shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites and andy why don't i kick that off with you yeah oh gosh i I guess i've been thinking a lot about my teenage years thinking about this play uh, because the main character is a teenager. And certainly like when I was like 16, I found out about Angels in America and I read a bunch of Tony Kushner's other plays. And I think that probably more than anything else, his work made me want to be a playwright. So, and he's someone I still hold in great esteem though. I find I, I actually can't read Angels in America anymore because if I do, I will unconsciously steal lines from it. And I, I've caught myself mm-hmm. doing that enough times that I think, you know, I just, it, it should just be a fond memory at this point because it just it gets it gets too uh, etched into my brain. Other than him, I love Lynn Nottage, David Henry Huang, both of whom I studied with at Columbia. They're both huge influences on me. I remember when I was in high school, I heard a talk that David gave, and he said something that I will always remember. Where he said, "People say you can't write a play about an idea. Of course you can." that was a really nice foundation for me to kind of be like and I still get these kind of comments where people will say like you know your plays you know they don't have a lot of I mean I think this play does but sometimes people will say my plays are are, don't have a lot of heart or too intellectual or something like that and I think I think I don't know if they know this but I think a little bit of what they're saying is my plays are too autistic 
But, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm on the, I might as well say it. But they're big influence on me. For this play in particular, I was influenced by a lot of art that's not theater. I mean, I was influenced a lot by the tone of, of like graphic novels and graphic memoirs um, and things like Fun Home and the American Splendor series, uh, Adrian Tomini's work. So I feel like that was a lot of the stuff that I was kind of drawing on in terms of like the tone and the feel of this like world that is recognizable, but is sort of slightly exaggerated and, and, and is very kind of personal and emotional. And I don't know, I kind of imagine it as like almost a graphic novel, even though it's a play. It's awesome though. I love all those. It's a great list. Maggie, what are, who inspires you? Yeah, I think my favorite types of plays to work on, read, see, and what inspires me is contemporary plays about teenage girls. I think, I think kind of like, like what Andy was talking about, like how theater can be a place where we can experiment with social interaction, everything. I think I, I love working on shows and seeing shows that help me kind of understand the world a bit better and myself and everything. So I think seeing shows that highlight young women are my favorite. I, I really love The Wolves. I love Dryland, Dance Nation. Those are some of my favorites. And I think for this, this play in particular, we've been really digging into the character of Jenny, the, the main character who's 15. Um, so I've been inspired by a lot of, of those plays that have highlighted teenage girls. And then I, I also, for the, for the whole weight loss competition of this, I, I was really inspired by Caitlin Gould, who is a New York based playwright. She wrote the play Mirrors. I was able to assist and direct it last year. And it's a satire about dieting and eating disorders. And I, I've been pulling a lot of, you know, just the themes and stuff from, from the, and the work that I did on that show and kind of translating it to this show and how, you know, these, these dark, sometimes very depressing themes can, can be really funny and really satirical. And then for my, for my directing style as well, I think I, I'm really inspired by James Lapine ever since I, I was researching him for a school project. And one of the things that he talks about in this work is leading with joy and I think, you know, ever since I kind of read about that, that really changed my perspective and how I direct. And, you know, even with a show like this, that can sometimes have heavy themes, um, even through all of the satire, I think always leading with joy is really important to me and has made this rehearsal process really great and, and connecting with the actors and everything. Wow, that's wonderful. Another great list. Well, let me ask both of you, have uh, either of you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? I'm pretty sure that just closed, unfortunately. Theater in a Silence show, The Nobodies Who Are Everybody. People don't know their work, they should definitely follow them. They're kind of a political theater group based in Brooklyn. And this show was about the Federal Theater Project in the 1930s, which is still the, the closest we've ever got to having a, a kind of decent system of theater funding in this country. Uh, so that was really wonderful. That's very cool. Maggie, anything for you? Yeah, a show that I really liked also just closed. And I actually haven't been in New York this summer because I was working for an educational theater program in Pennsylvania. And then right before, right when I was coming back, the show Gray House closed. I don't know if either of you got a chance to mm -hmm. see it. Yeah, you saw it? Oh, it yeah. was... So I, I, unfortunately it closed, but I'm hoping that that show is kind of a, 
an opening for more horror plays on Broadway because I think it was just so unique. And I think that's something that the Broadway community is missing is more horror and kind of this experimental type of, of theater. I was really inspired by it when I was working the camp that I was working at this summer, we ended up doing a, a horror show with the youngest kids there because I, after seeing Grey House, I was like, I gotta do some horror. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, even though it closed, maybe it'll come back one day. Well, let me ask the two of you, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? And Maggie, I'm actually going to start with you on that. I think it's really the people that I meet. I feel like I've been able to meet so many amazing people from theater. I mean, like, I I don't know if I ever would have met Andy. And now, you know, I have another person to connect with that's a neurodivergent artist. And yeah, I, I, I think theater has just brought me so many different places and always having me work on kind of different things, different stories. Um, Every time I do a show, I try to push myself in some sort of way or cover a topic that I've been interested in. And yeah, that's why for this, for this show particularly, I was interested in looking at a show that dealt with kind of diet culture and how that interacts with growing up. So yeah, and and meeting the actors this week, most of them were actors that I had not known, but I just kind of, you know, they auditioned and they were really great. And, you know, I've, some of them I've only known for a few days, but I feel like I've known them for my whole life. I feel like theater just really, I don't know, it just makes, I think, your whole heart and soul into the shows that you do. When you're that vulnerable in a space with people, it just, it, it just makes the connection so much easier than sometimes in I want to say in real life when obviously theater is real life, but it's, it's, it's more special than that. You know, when we're going on the subway, we might not think to, you know, talk to the people around us, hear their stories, but everyone really has an interesting story. And when we're able to connect through plays like, like this one, you just learn things about people you never would have known. Love that. Andy, what about you? What is your favorite part about working in the theater? One of the things I love about theater is that it's a a kind of inherently communal and collective art form. I mean, I think plays are about what happens between people as much as or even more than they are about people themselves. And I I find that very fascinating as a topic, like just the ways that groups of people interact with each other. But also, I love that to create theater, you have to enlist the services of a whole community, you know, actors, designers, directors, and then finally the audience. And I think that just kind of amplifies the sense that this is, this is an art form that is about a, a kind of greater we. It's it's not, I mean, I love novels, I love poetry, I love, you know, singer-songwriter music and all, all sorts of things that are really about individual expression. But I think theater is really about what it means to exist in community with other people. And that's something that I'm really interested in. And I think that's something that that our society needs more of. I mean, I think we're we're a much too individualistic society. And so I, I like planting myself in the art form that says, no, actually, what's, in, what's more important than what's going on in your little head is what's going on, you know, between you and another person or between you and a community or something like that. It's also fantastic. Oh, two great answers. Well, we've now arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, and that is, what is your favorite theater memory? Okay, I have an answer to that. So when when I was in high school, there was a a series ASU, Arizona State University, 
uh, called Performance in the Borderlands. And they brought in Teatro Campesino, Luis Valdez's theater company, to do a performance. And it was unlike anything I'd seen before. It was wildly theatrical and very political. And it kind of ended with the, the performers going out in the audience and encouraging us to chant along to these United Farm Worker slogans. And it really made me feel like, like energized to go out and actually do politics and to try to make a difference and to, to fight for justice. And, and, and then later on in that year, there was a bill in Arizona that was meant to crack down on undocumented immigrants. And I think because of that play, I became involved in the protests against that bill. So that's always a, a great reminder for me that like political theater can change consciousness and changing consciousness can be a step towards people actually, you know, taking to the streets. And so that's kind of always what I'm trying to do in my plays is to, to make people leave the theater feeling ready to change the world. That is fantastic. Oh my gosh. What a fantastic memory. And I would love to see the show now. Maggie, what about you? Yeah, so I think some of my favorite moments in theater are my my moments where I've had a really great breakthrough with actors, especially with younger actors. I do a lot of work in educational theater because I love how theater can develop self-confidence and leadership skills and everything. So I think a moment that I always remember is a few years ago when I was assistant directing production of Oklahoma Junior at the Hanover Theater in Massachusetts. And there's this one one girl, she must have been in maybe fifth grade. And, you know, over the, the course of the two weeks that we were doing this show, I just saw her self-confidence blossom from performing. And then when we when it was the night of the show, she came up to me and she said, Maggie, have you ever done a play before? And I was like, I, I actually studied theater in New York and trying to be a director out there. She was like, oh, you can do that. And I just, I've never seen someone like light up with so much joy and energy. And yeah, it, ju it just makes me really excited for, you know, the, the next generation of, of artists that it is possible to go out there and do what you love and create art and yeah yeah there's there's just so much possibility so it was really it, it was a really sweet moment it's something I always remember whenever I'm getting frustrated with you know anything that I'm working on if I'm working on a show and I'm getting stressed out I'm like hold on <laughs> you are doing something so fun and something that you've always wanted to do so I, I always remember that little girl love that what a wonderful memory as well both of you thank you so much for sharing those memories those were fantastic Thank you. Do either of you have any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug for you? Yes, I do. I'm one of the three creator and creator performers of a show called Room, Room, Room in the Many Mansions of Eternal Glory for Thee and for Everyone, which is going to be at The Brick in October. And it is a concept musical about the public universal friend who is a real person who is a 18th century prophet who claimed to have died and been resurrected as a, as a genderless being sent from God to proclaim the end of the world. So it's a play that deals with themes of religion, gender, sex. It's, it's a real fun time. And it includes some songs where the actual tech, the actual lyrics of the songs are taken directly from actual 18th and 19th century texts written by this this prophet, the public universal friend, and their community, the Society of Universal Friends. So if you're into 
cult documentaries or queer historical fiction, this is the show for you. Very cool. Oh, that sounds awesome. Mag, anything for you? Yeah, so I'm doing some productions at my university, at Pace University, this coming year. I've been working on a year and a half long devised process that will be presented early next year. So when tickets go on sale for that, it'll be on the Pace University School of Performing Arts website. And yes, I'm graduating college in May too. So hopefully more projects after that. If anyone's listening here that wants to give me a job, (laughs) go ahead. Yes, and congrats early on that graduation. That's amazing. Good for you. Thank you. Well, finally, if our listeners want more information about the flight patterns of migratory birds or maybe about either of you, perhaps you'd like to reach out to the two of you, how can they do so? I have a contact form on my website, which is andyjboyd.com. Other than that, they can they can go to Sour Grapes Productions and find out more information about flight patterns there. Yeah, we also have an Instagram specifically for flight patterns. It's at flight patterns reading on Instagram. And then my Instagram is just Maggie Dunn, where I post all of, you know, upcoming performances or anything that I'm doing on there. Wonderful. Well, Maggie, Andy, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today about this fantastic work. I cannot wait for the reading. I really hope I get to be in attendance there and hear this wonderful script and see its wonderful, you know, direction up on its feet. So I appreciate the both of you and your time for speaking with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. My guests today have been the director, Maggie Dunn, and the playwright, Andy Boyd, both who are part of Pincioni Arts' presentation of the flight patterns of migratory birds. It's part of the Neurodivergent New Play series, and it's their first show of the series, playing September 17th at 2 p.m. at the Vino Theater in Brooklyn, New York. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting sourgrapesproductions.com. We also have some contact information for our guests, as well as the show that we'll be posting on the episode description, as well as on our social media post. But in the meantime, get your tickets now for the September 17th reading of the flight patterns of migratory birds. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.